I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Watch Time. Today on the podcast, we have Ian Borthwick, also known as Ian from SeatGeek. He is the man that has made many of the biggest influencer marketing campaigns happen. He's gotten David Dobrik to the World Series. He's paid for college kids tuition. He's made... I think over 13 cars um, available for David's video. Elliot and I have spoken about the collaborations, many of which he's facilitated, um, and we think they're some of the best that are happening in the industry at the moment. So I'm thrilled to have him on the podcast today. Um, If you haven't already subscribed to the YouTube channel or followed us on Spotify and Apple, make sure you do that and leave us a review. And without further ado, let's get into the podcast. Welcome, Ian. Thank you so much for joining us on Watch Time today. Excited to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So I think we're going to kick off to it. Obviously, I feel like a lot of people learnt your, learnt your name um, in a way that a lot of people don't usually learn the name of someone that's coordinating big brand deals for an influencer through your relationship with David and the work that you were doing with him. So I think to kick off, we'd just be um, really interested to know sort of how that relationship developed and started and how it sort of blossomed into such a long-term relationship with him. Yeah, um, it's definitely like how I became known to the world. I wouldn't say it was definitely intentional by any means, but um, David has a knack for inserting everyone in his life into his vlogs and making a character out of it. So I wanted to work with David for years. Um, and he never returned my emails for, <laughs> well, his, let's just say his agent always returned my emails. He didn't respond to them. So we would never get feedback on like, I was like, we always wanted to do a deal with him. We kept on emailing him and he just kept on blowing us off. And then, right before the 2016 world series we got an email back from jack reed who was his manager and he said david wants to go to the world series and so that was like i remember i was sitting in our office and i like got tingly but i also got nervous because i don't know i'm a loser but like anytime you're kind of trying to like work with a big creator and or some even just any creator and like you really wanted to do something and now it's real suddenly like you're like oh shit now i actually have to like make it happen so anyway we we get on the i email david and jack and i'm like we want to send you the world series and he's like let's do it send over the talking points i sent over these these talking points and you guys probably know these talking points where it's like we had a probably eight or ten bullets a lot of screen sharing of the app it was very onerous it was like the worst it was like we want you to sell your soul for SeatGeek and I'll give you these World Series tickets. Yeah. And that's how we had done it <laughs> to date. And David immediately was like, nope, not doing that. And then he called me um, and he said he's not going to do it, but he wanted us to make it about him. He's like, listen, I'll build it up as like this 
moment is only possible because SeatGeek is helping me make it possible. Yeah. And so that was kind of like the the thing that I, I and I was kind of like nervous. I was like, well, what about the app? What about how great our deal score is? What about how awesome our like app looks? And in a nice way, he was like, I don't think people really people aren't going to care about that. They're going to care that you're buying my best friend tickets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is ultimately and so that was why people like SeatGeek so much. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think like, uh, and that, if you take a step back, that's I think how a lot of a lot of brands don't understand that uh, when you partner with these creators, you're partnering with them and their audience. Yeah, and like the the powers when you lean into that connection. So like you you become part of that relationship, and the minute you yeah. start telling a creator, you got to hit these 10 bullets you need to speak in this way that's not authentic to their audience everybody just immediately is skipping tuning out not caring and so that's kind of what we learned then and so that was the start of david and i's relationship and since then we've partnered on over 30 videos um 250 million views it's been a pretty crazy relationship to the point where like i've he's called me and recorded our converse negotiation <laughs> for the brand deal that's in the video okay that's okay so weird. that was actually that was actually gonna be my next question because like you know you, you watch a david dobrik video and he'll be like oh i want to do something crazy and then you like see him pick up a phone and be like yo like in i need a ferrari can we can i can get, i can get okay cool thank you and then hangs up the phone like i know and grace knows and like most people probably have a general sense that when it comes to getting approval from a company to spend literally hundreds of thousands of dollars, which is what like an integration on a David Dobrik video is worth, like normally that takes a little bit of of like finesse around whether or not that's talking about, um, you know, kind of what exactly the deliverables are. Even though I understand with you guys, you've obviously got that down to a T at this point, so it doesn't matter. Or, you know, it, so, so basically on my end, I, I'm just so curious, is it as like casual and random is basically seeking being like you know th- this this guy works he, it's it's just give him whatever he, just do it just do whatever he wants or is it like <laughs> you have yeah. a set amount per month you can do with david or is it just yeah I- i'm just so curious like how actually like s- do you have to have a structure in how you work with him or have you been given like autonomy or yeah what doesn't the audience see I mean, the audience sees a lot like with that with the Ferrari video, I knew David wanted to do something big for some time. And so like a lot of my job is like almost getting ahead of things and being like, this is how much money. Well, this is my budget for every month. And then trying to set aside kind of what I call like the like, oh, shit, we're just going to go for it budget where it's like <laughs> the I budget. have enough the david budget or we partnered with like uh cody co and noel when we did their music video like the budget that, that was like, amazing we just the, let's do cool shit budget um but that make it actually make money for SeatGeek. and so the ferrari video i didn't plan it david called me i just knew i knew it was going to work and we had proved enough success with david because everything we do as a code and if you go into influencer marketing, like to actually drive transactions or business results, you start to have like, you know what something's worth. And I knew how valuable that video would be worth. Now, 
I didn't have the money at the time. So I, I said yes to David and I had to go call my boss and call people and make sure it happened. So it was a little dicey for a second, but also like you don't get those amazing moments if you don't like take a chance. And so I, I knew yeah. I could get the money ultimately. Yeah, that's yeah. that's so interesting. Cause I think, um, you know, I think ultimately we, you know, like if we've ever uh, on the click side, like had like a deal of that size go through a lot of the time, there's literally like weeks of back and forward and there's like strict video approval. And a lot of the time there's like negotiation going, there's definitely not just a phone call that says, I want a Ferrari, get me one. And then <laughs> that kind of budget comes through like that's that's crazy yeah i mean i'd say the way i position SeatGeek is there are a lot of brands that pay david dobrik and creators more than we do yeah on a per video basis but we want to be the easiest people to work with like we know exactly what we want but most we want to make your video cool yeah we're not going to have free approvals we're going to have one approval and i will get it back to you within 10 to 15 minutes. Like that's yeah. my goal. I get a video, I have to have it back that fast. And so that's kind of how we position ourselves. And with David, I think David would tell you that he every time he tells us, he tells us we're getting too good of a deal. And my pushback always to David is, yeah, but we're not gonna have free rounds of edits. If you yeah. wanna get a vlog, if you wanna call me on a Friday, you can have the vlog out by Saturday. Yeah, and not many brands can do that. I think no, that's, and I, I also reckon that's just like the smartest way to actually work as a brand. Cause if you, if you develop this like reputation for just being frustrating to work with and harder to work with than you need to be, then people obviously want to do it less. They're going to expect more budget and they just, and ultimately all you're doing is you're increasing your marketing costs by a ridiculous amount. Whereas if you can just kind of just take some of the edge off like because I, I feel like a lot of companies you know when they do marketing they're used to doing it through you know obviously it's it's becoming a bit more like you know it's we've been around for a bit longer now but influencer marketing in the scheme of things is still relatively new so you have a lot of these like marketing companies who have their marketing execs who've been doing advertising for 50 years and they're used to getting the really structured like i buy this tv ad slot and it goes on this thing here and that is exactly what it's going to be and they understand it so as soon as you're asking him to kind of like lessen the controls a bit and kind of and and like let go it's terrifying so i i see a lot of brands that just shoot themselves in the foot because they're not willing to do that influencers don't want to work with them they charge them more and ultimately their costs go up way more yeah, yeah. i mean I for like David or for Cody Ko and Noel for that video, like they they called us because they're like, we want to have a deal fast, easy, and lets us bring our creative vision to life. So David wants to give away a car. We will be quick enough and we won't make him like put SeatGeek all over the outside of it. So I yeah. think that's just how you have to position yourselves. Yeah. And I guess with all that said, it's still easier said than done, I think, probably for you to convince your bosses or for SeatGeek to get behind the fact that, okay, we're going to totally relax these talking points and maybe no one knows about the app or maybe no one knows the stats on like how successful ticket purchasing is or whatever, but everyone is going to have a great feeling about the company after like a David video. How, how hard was that to get across the line? Because I mean, you said you sell yourself, like that wasn't something where the relationship started organically and you were like, Hey David, like do whatever you want. There was an element where he was convincing you guys. How did that go for you? Um, I mean, for us, it was, we've always been 
a brand that like a brand that has worked well with creators. So we were one of the first podcast sponsors. So whether it was we were the first person to sponsor the Bill Simmons podcast, which is a massive sports podcast in the U.S. And since then, we've always had this creator tilt where we believe Seeky can separate itself as a brand through creators. So Ticketmaster, StubHub are the two big brands out here. And those companies, they're going to spend a ton of money on TV. They're going to spend a ton of money on radio. But what they're not going to do is get in the DMs of a creator and try to work out a deal. And so we always viewed that as our competitive advantage. And since then, we've kind of always been building on it. So when we got to David, I had four years of business results to show, listen, this is this is how many transactions it drives back to SeatGeek. And I built up that much equity within the company that when I told my bosses we were doing, we buying David a car, they thought it was kind of weird. Like they did, and I did too. But then when you can point to, listen, this is how much results David's driving for the company. I mean, David David and SeatGeek is more searched than like Ninja Red Bull, um, Steph Curry, Under Armour. Like those two keywords together are one of the most searched like influencer partnerships out there. And you can only do that if you truly lean into what the creator is building. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, I feel like so many brands, as you said, Elliot, shoot themselves in the foot because they're like, we want to do influencer marketing or we want to work with YouTubers or creators. And then they give them a laundry list of all the talking points they have to hit. And it's like, oh, you're like ruining the magic of what you're going to get by working with creators in the first place. Yeah. Like, I, like, I mean, I, like weird example, but, and a lot of the time hitting those talking points and brands just don't understand this sometimes. I'm like, I'm like, you're actually hurting yourself here. Like this message is becoming less impactful because of what you're hitting me with here. Like I, I did a, yeah. um, it, it was sponsored for, I won't say what, but it was like a screen or a computer. It, it, it was a hardware product. And the brand hit me with this like brief. And it was like, talk about the, the layman exo tracing uh, elements of the water cooled hypochondria, uh, low key <laughs> tracer mate. And I was like, can I just say like, it's a dope monitor with a sick refresh rate, great frames, and love it for gaming. And they're like, no, no, no. We need to talk about the um, the newly developed um, ultra color luminescence. And I'm like, I'm like, I don't understand what this is. I'm a gamer who's played more than most of my audience. My audience definitely doesn't understand what this is. All that this sounds like is that I'm throwing marketing mumbo jumbo in their face that ruins the authenticity of the message and what makes influencer marketing so damn effective and so special and what makes it better in, I think, my opinion and probably all our opinions than TV marketing is that it's genuine. It's coming from someone who most of the time is speaking pretty genuinely about what they're talking about. And as soon as you shove, like really weird talking points and you don't let them put it in a way that their audience relates to god it just kills that it kills all that authenticity and it's like why even do it just go buy a tv ad just just if that's what you want just do that sorry yeah passion point <laughs> <laughs> no it gets it gets me worked up it, it's to me i'd even go a step further even though maybe this is me and i think it's like arrogant almost i think I maybe it's not naive, but you're to say that you're going to know how to speak to an audience better than the creator is, is basically like, well, what, well, what are we doing this in the first place? Yeah. Like hundred percent. You're buying someone who can speak 
to that audience in a certain language in a certain way that they're going to make sense. Like what you just said, your audience hears that and they're like, yeah, I want that dope ass computer. They don't care about whatever is in the brains. But on the back end, there's all these marketers. There's probably four people in a room with a Google Doc who are each adding their favorite like feature of this computer into this doc. And so what I do is I literally will stand in front of like, uh, I'll pretend I'm recording and I will try to do the read myself. And if I can't get through the read myself in a natural way, then how, like, I can't send it. So I think I, I really put a lot of like, you have to actually try to do it yourself if you're going to ask an influencer to do it. Yeah. The amount of briefs I've had to send back where I'm just like, this doesn't fit. Like you want 30 seconds. I'm like, this is like 75 seconds worth of, that, they're my favorite. They're my favorite. They'll be like, oh, can we do a 15 second integration? You're like, yeah, sure. Like, okay, these are the mandatory talking points. And it's like an essay. And you're like, come on, bro. Come on. That's not how this works. Um, I mean, that's just cheating. A yeah, I know. Just, it's so cheating. I know. They're just like, well, we'll get 45 seconds. The problem is, is what they don't realize is, let's say you do do the 15, and now you're going to pick which bullet you like the most. And that's probably maybe not the bullet they like the most. Yeah. And yeah. so then they're like, that's the problem. That's why I only send three bullets because any creator can understand three bullets. But once you go past three bullets, you're you're in a yeah, dicey it's a area. Bit much. Yeah. yeah. But but I, I think it's okay. super interesting what you said about letting the creator put it in a way their audience will engage with. And I think what makes that interesting with like, you know, uh, SeatGeek and like David Dobrik, like as a podcast is that uh, sorry as a as like a content creator is like his content is all about friends and friend groups and people so like it's so smart the way that like he's like you know made you a part of that content and a face of SeatGeek because that way he's no longer he's kind of making SeatGeek not just like a faceless brand he's kind of putting you as like the face behind it like there is a person there who is like fun to talk with who will enable crazy stuff to happen and it's almost like you know you're either like there are the friends who are like going on and like doing all the like crazy trips but then also SeatGeek becomes a part of that because it's not just like hey this video is sponsored by SeatGeek it's like this whole crazy thing we're about to do is enabled by them being there so it kind of like really makes you it makes it makes you and it makes the brand almost like part of the friend group if that makes sense Mm mm-hmm yeah, I mean that was that was David's pitch pretty early on was if you trust me, well I'll make you a character in the videos. Cause if in his eyes, he doesn't want to bring a new brand in every video and kind of lose that moment. But when yeah. what his pitch was when they hear the word Seek Geek, something amazing is gonna happen. And just trust me, and I've trusted him and so far it's been it's been great, but you you really need to lean into to that friend group and now i think we got twenty five thousand tweets of people who just tag us and do the ad like the ad read has become a meme in itself where we get all these tiktoks and and tweets about people like doing the ad read and ve- like on after their wisdom teeth gets taken out or in just like weird weird somebody <laughs> did it at their wedding it was their uh it was their wedding toast which is I'm, i feel kind of bad for that family but that's like sometimes I've had a few people like tweeting uh, like that they got like a tattoo of like code muselk on their arm. And I'm like, I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, I, I like, that's amazing. Like, I love you. But also, God, I really hope that in 30 years you're not there. Just like, oh, damn. I really wish I never watched that guy. It's a yeah. lot of pressure. 
But I think yeah. you touch on something really good there, which is which is a question I wanted to ask. Um, and I think this is something that Elliot and I have spoken a lot about on the podcast before, where it's like the the brands and the creators that are doing branded partnerships really well are the ones that have pivoted from, I think in the past, people, creators used to want to hide that the video was sponsored and they'd be like, oh, this amazing monitor is so great and like would kind of hide the fact that it was sponsored or they'd try and read it really quickly and get it over and done with as soon as possible because it it wasn't ever a positive thing. And I think something that you guys have done, which is so unique, is that you've actually made sponsorships something that can is something you can be proud of to the audience. But I think the question that I had is what do you, I guess, initially what first attracted you to David before you'd worked with him in the first place? Why did you want him over anyone else? And what do you think has made the partnership so successful? Yeah. I mean, before David, we had probably worked with 200 creators and David to me was just one of those, I use the the term like great white buffalo. He was just him, Casey Neistat. There was just these couple iconic creators at the time that I always said, if we could work with those people, we've made it as a brand. Yeah. And so that was, and, and those people are just, they don't do, they don't do brand deals easily. They, they have this cult like following around them. So when we partner with a creator, you're really trying to find that community and, Mm-hmm. The thing about I remember seeing David like David tweeted something and it was just like no offense to David it was like the stupidest shit I'd ever seen it was like the sh- it was like and and you see it with these TikTok stars right now yeah. and they tweet something that makes no sense but then you look at it in one minute and it has like ten thousand retweets and forty thousand comments and you're just like what's going on here there's <laughs> something that I don't get that's so definitely that how like, I feel I with like, a lot of TikTok I'm like I'm like I don't get this at all. <laughs> Like Addison Ray tweeted something about like my skin's so great or no, it was like, what colors from I, I paint my nails black or like red. And I looked at it and two minutes later and it was just, the engagement was just insane. Yeah. And so now I, I, I have some thoughts about like TikTok and, and where that's going to go. But for David, I just knew and Casey and a couple other creators, I just knew they had a cult around them and that was what we want to tap into because if you have that and you guys see this with your creators like and you have that following the the ad read just goes that much further you're not just buying views you're buying like i, I wouldn't want to say into a cult because that sounds more messed up than it is but you're buying into like a community and you're you can kind of become an inside joke to that community and that's that's where you see just like incredible results yeah I think as soon as you know you're being memed by an audience, by like a creator's audience, that's like, you've made it. That's amazing. Yeah. And more in, and, and, and before you do a deal, if a creator and his audience have inside jokes, you know, like, you know, there's something there because like to have an inside joke with someone, you have to have this weird, weird connection that you don't, you, you get if you're close. And so like it, Anytime a, a YouTuber and their audience have these inside jokes and you can see them in the comments, you're like, okay, they've created their own like world. Yeah. And that's do what we want to do. Do you feel like, do you have any other creators that you look at at the moment that you think are really doing that? Um, 
I'm a big fan of of this guy MMG. He's a he's a Madden gamer. Um, I think he's like one of the best up and coming sports gamers out there. I'm also really close with this guy Pat McAfee, who is a ex. I think it's really interesting to see these. He's a former professional athlete who decided to quit football, turned down, I don't know, like $14 million to a comedy career. And now he's the number one sports YouTuber in the U.S. And so he's just getting crazy views. And he kind of went the opposite way where he was like on ESPN, you know, playing football. And now he's going into this YouTube life. And so I think it's really interesting that people because there's not very many people who can you know, move from traditional entertainment to YouTube. That's a really hard jump to make. Mm. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think it's really interesting now as well that, um, you know, people were always doing social media and thinking, how can I get onto traditional media from this? Like, how can I go from YouTube to a TV show? And now I feel like it's come three, six or 180 and people are wanting the opposite and you're seeing like traditional people thinking how can I get into social media how can I start a YouTube channel um I just think that's super interesting like the goal is no longer necessarily getting to TV or movies it's like how can I expand what I'm doing with the platform that I have here totally I mean what 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 they don't have and what you guys have is a direct connection to an audience and if you have that direct connection you're just you're not at the whims of some network decides, OK, we don't want to rerun, do your show anymore. And then what? Mm-hmm. And so you're just in, you're in a much more powerful position if you own your audience, if you have built this audience, because they're going to follow you if you move up the food chain. But it's really hard to say, OK, like there's been stars that continue to try to just do YouTube and they just don't do it. It just doesn't work because they didn't have the skill set to do do it because they never had to form a direct relationship with their audience. Yeah. 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 hundred percent. So finishing off the David topic, one question I have is SeatGeek is obviously a ticketing app and service. A lot of the time, what you guys have become known for with the partnership is giving away cars or things that definitely don't necessarily have to directly do with the actual service or product that SeatGeek is offering. Why do you feel like you're okay with that? I mean, initially I wasn't. Um, (laughs) Marketing logic would tell you, you should always promote the product you actually have. So SeatGeek sells tickets. Why are we buying cars? Why are we paying people's tuition? Why are we in a music video? Um, And the music video was an inside joke about us buying cars. But I think... Audiences are much more sophisticated than we give them credit for where David and and we've built enough equity in the influencer space and the YouTube space where people know Seeking is a ticket company. But because we're not promoting ticketing, suddenly like the audience likes us more. They, yeah. they feel like we get it. They feel like David builds it and other creators build it. Hey, they let me do this amazing thing for my audience. And everyone knows the word SeatGeek is an amazing ticket app. And that becomes even more ironic when the video has nothing to do with ticketing. If you do it right, it's not not easy. And there's a very, it's a very difficult thread for me to like manage not going too far and just 
no one knows what we are, but at the same point, we're not gonna pigeonhole the content that it has to always just promote ticketing because ultimately the audience is smart. They Google SeatGeek, the read includes ticketing and people get it at the end of the day. And it almost sticks out more in their head because people call us a car dealership even though we're a ticketing company. <laughs> yeah. And to even make that joke, you have to understand that we're a ticketing company. Yeah. 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 No, that's, a really, that's actually a really good point. Yeah. Okay. I actually, I have one, I have one final uh, question before we, we move off the David topic and onto more general stuff. Has there ever been something that he's wanted to do, to do where you've just been like, we've just been like, no, David, no, we're not doing that. Go, just go <laughs> home. You're drunk. Although David doesn't really drink, so he probably wouldn't be drunk. But, you know, like, has there ever been something where he's, like, pitched it? And you've been like, actually, the Ferrari was fine. This, yeah, no, we can't do this one. Yeah, I mean, the. do you remember the Instagram sweepstakes we did with him over, was it New Year's? No, no it was over Christmas. So we gave away. So David calls me and he says, for Christmas, I want to give away a Tesla and I want to do it on Instagram. I want to make a sweepstakes and I hate sweepstakes. I hate everything about them. I think they're usually cheap. They're gimmicky for a brand at least. And you just get a bunch of people who want to download your app and never buy because they just want to enter into sweepstakes. They don't actually want to make a purchase. Yeah. And the last thing is you have to write up so many legal rules to make yeah. it work and it's kind of just a pain in the ass but david would not stop annoying me about it like he just kept on calling me every day multiple times a day being like i really want to do this 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 and i was like dude i just don't want to do it i don't how do we make money off this and so eventually we got to the place where David just beat me down on the sweepstakes that he was so passionate about it that I just felt like I had to, I had to trust him um, <laughs> and just do it, which sounds crazy and crazy to agree to that. But we, we basically did a package deal where we did the, he got a sweepstakes, I got a video and we paid a little bit more than we wanted to because David wanted to do the sweepstakes too. And it ended up working. I mean, we did, uh, he drove 2.3 million new followers to our Instagram within 24 hours. And um, it was the number 10 trending topic on Twitter. So again, I uh, sometimes you just, marketers overthink things sometimes. And sometimes you just have to let a creator do what they're going to do, especially if you have a successful relationship. He drove two million. Okay, so that was an million. example. I was like, you said yes in that one, but <laughs> but it you was said a no, slower but then you yes agreed to it normal. anyway. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess I ended up saying yes. <laughs> so, long story short, never said no to David. Good to know. Um, I'll say wait. no until he calls me multiple times a day and wears me down, and I have to say yes. <laughs> so the thing is, I do. David loves negotiating, and so every and I I I enjoy it too. So there's like a lot of like we had this call recently where he was like, we both hadn't given our number for what we think something's worth. And he said, you go first. And I said, if I go first, I'm going to say a number way lower than what you're going to do. And he's like, well, then I'm just going to say a number way higher than what I'm going to say. And then we eventually like on FaceTime agreed to basically say our numbers at the same time. 
we could get to a point where he would actually we could cut to the chase and so david just was like this is the, la- the lowest number i'll accept i'm not going to negotiate with you and so that's kind of how how we've gotten it i love For how those much singing at home this is not how negotiations normally happen I, but i love how much i love how much this literally sounds like a high school relationship where it'd be like be like you say i love you no no no, you say it first all right we say it together ready three two one go and then like and then also being like you know loving negotiating like you know like playing like hard to get but like brand deal version uh, where it's like oh i don't even really want to do the brand deal david like oh you know it's like well i don't really <laughs> oh that is it's it's all that stuff i mean my one of the ones we were doing david had to take off on a flight and he's like all right we're gonna negotiate but once the flight gets in the air we have to have the deal done or it's never gonna happen so we had this like shot clock of like him sitting in his seat texting me and us going back and forth on pricing and like i will take off and i'm like sweating at my desk i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on linkedin you'll miss out on great candidates like sandra start hiring professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com people today I'm like i want it, i'm sweating because i wanted to get it done and david's like it, it was just anytime he, he like loves those moments and loves negotiating himself so it's it can be really stressful but that's how we developed a relationship did you get it done oh yeah yeah he's we like, he's like Ooh, I mean, we're taxiing is, onto the runway literally like it was like all caps he's like i'm about to lose service yes or no this really <laughs> This whole conversation makes me feel like I'm the loser in all these conversations because I always say yes, but uh, I just have to beat him down off his price because David will say some ridiculous price and you have to just play hard to get for a little while. Okay, so like my only question, sorry, I know we keep saying we're going to move on from this topic, but I just find this dynamic so interesting um, because it's so unique for any brand. Surely at this stage, like David gets pretty consistent viewership. The integration is always pretty much the same as hey SeatGeek gave me money to do something dumb and it's always the same spiel like you said uh you know like people can literally reel off what the spiel is because it's always identical yeah is it do you guys not are you guys not just at a stage now where it's like okay i'm going to do do an integration and it is going to be the same amount that it always is because it's the same integration on the same video that's going to deliver roughly the same views um i mean the way we usually structure it and we like to do this with a lot of our creators is a six month to a year long deal where they have a set video every month that they're doing for us. And then with David or any other creator, if he's, if we think there's an amazing opportunity to jump on that's outside of that current partnership, we will jump on that too. Right. So Dave, like we always start with a normal deal with David and then David, Oh, but I need to buy my assistant, her third car. And then I'm like, does she really need another car? Is and she really like, your assistant yeah, at this stage? Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then, next thing you know, we're we're doing another deal that's kind of like a an up level on it or or whatever. And because we position ourselves as the brand that can help make any 
our goal is to really have creators call us when they want to do something that has a really short turnaround. They need a set amount of money and they want creative freedom. And because of that, they're not going to charge us an arm and a leg because they want to make this like for Kodiko and Noel, they wanted us to underwrite the cost of the music video. The music video costs a certain amount of money. And in a dream world, they're not paying for their music video. And in a dream world, we're part of a music video. So it's trying to be that brand that creators are going to call on. Because yeah. then you yeah. get good deals. Who are you going to call? SeatGeek. Um, okay, so something that you touched on earlier was the fact that when you're thinking about how you're going to do a deal with someone, you're thinking about how is this ultimately going to lead to a return for SeatGeek or how is SeatGeek going to make money from this, which makes sense. But obviously at... Um, the level of partnerships that you're doing and you're doing repeat partnerships with the same people a lot of time. Um, how important, like how are you measuring ROI or how are you measuring the return that you're getting from the spend that you're putting into creators? Is it always how many tickets are being sold or are there other things that you're valuing? Yeah, that's a great question. For us, we're always going to be, they wouldn't let me pay David and buy these cars or do these deals with creators if I couldn't say, this is how many sales are coming back to SeatGeek. So our like core KPI or core goal is new purchasers to SeatGeek. Mm -hmm. So every time David says, use code David for $20 off your first order, I have a dashboard that I wake up every morning to that says how many new purchasers came in from that code. And I look at that across all of our creators. So that's our our core goal, but that's like the most narrow way to view influencer marketing just mm. for transactions. So it's great if you can validate it just on that alone, but then you layer in social chatter, how many times people search for David and SeatGeek. And then we also see how many people, when we when they purchase, they fill out a survey and a ton of people forget to use the code, but then they write in David Dobrik or Tiny Meat Gang or just crazy stuff. And then we go out and match how many people, you know, bought without a code. The problem I think some brands make is they go into relationships and they don't have, they don't know exactly what they want. They don't know what the core goal of that campaign is going to be. And so their read is all over the place. So if your goal is just impressions, it's going to be very tough to prove the ROI long-term you can do some deals, but to get to the scale you need to get at to really own YouTube, you need to come back to transactions, mm -hmm. Yeah, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. And what are your thoughts in terms of when you're partnering with people? You said that um, you've partnered with hundreds of creators, obviously, over the last few years. How do you feel about diversifying and working across multiple creators you know there are some brands you see and there'll be a phase and everyone and their mother is sponsored by them and it's like okay okay they're clearly going for like a huge strategy where they're just going breadth and trying to sponsor as many people as they possibly can how do you feel about that versus actually forming a relationship with a couple of top creators so for us i'm personally a belief that you need to work you need to work directly with the creators you're sponsoring so mm -hmm. there's a lot of software out there that i'm not the biggest fan of because i think it commoditizes the people on the other end the creators so you can 
put your offer out on these on these networks and say, you know, I'll pay this much for this many views or this amount of Instagram posts. And what you get is a lot of trash, just a lot of just empty impressions out there. Yeah. And I don't view that as a proper way of spending money. So what we do, it we do it all in house. So we have a four person team who is forming direct relationships with the people we're working with. And for two reasons, one, you get you negotiate better and you form better relationships with these people. But two, there's a level of ownership. And you guys made a good earlier point that there's a there is risk here, right? You're partnering with a creator who's speaking on behalf of your brand. And anytime you're adding a bunch of layers in between you and the creator, you don't have that level of ownership you need to really make sure you're partnering with the right people. Because ultimately, if I partner with someone and they do a bunch of bad things or do something terrible in a video, it has to be on me. And that level of responsibility will make me much smarter than if I just, you know, have this hands off approach and just let other people buy influencer ads on on my behalf. Yeah, I agree. I think it's something that Elliot and I speak about a lot as well with you know, for audiences listening at home that might not be familiar, there are a lot of like influencer platforms where a brand can upload a brief and then influencers can basically submit submissions of what they think like their content could could look like. And it's, I think, an attempt for a lot of agencies to try and scale or try and scale their ability to work with creators. But I think rarely would you see like I think if people think of the best examples of influencer marketing, I don't think they're coming from these platforms because it's just not possible to have that personal touch with them because it's happening at such scale. I mean, Elliot, I know you and I have had conversations where like at Click, we really we really only work with creators that have quite large established audiences already and they've developed an audience that follows um, the content and that means that we're able to have a super hands-on approach with the people that we choose to work with and the brands that we choose to work with and we try to make sure that all the campaigns people are doing are ones that actually do feel authentic and are therefore going to be a good experience for the talent and for the brand um, but yeah Elliot I mean I think you 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 share a lot of the same opinions with Ian there yeah yeah as well as well as i think the fact that these days they're so like, i think more and more you know like back in the day like we were talking about earlier youtubers didn't like doing sponsored stuff or if they did they felt really weird about it but these days i feel like integration sponsored videos they're just so common so i feel like a lot of the time these days um you know channels are like or, sorry viewers will almost like totally tune out from what they're seeing in an integration or a sponsorship if it's not actually done in the right way if it is a totally like separate disjointed hey guys before we get into the content i've got a 30 second like spiel that i'm gonna pull off then people i think kind of really tune out of it or they skip it or whatever but i i think the the way to do it is those ones where you do build those big relationships and i think that i think you know what you guys have done with david is like a perfect example of where that literally becomes part of the content in like a really kind of like deep meaningful way um and uh yeah it, it literally makes you like you were saying a character on the channel and you don't tune out of it like i think people hear the word seek geek in a david video and they're like something awesome's about to happen everyone get ready you know like they're, they're keen for it and i think that that's what um yeah i think that's what what you're right like what makes your guys way of doing things really stand out and what makes it actually successful 
Yeah. I mean, one, one of my pet peeves is when like a brand and a creator try to, I think they, they overthink it and they try to like slip an ad in. They're like, oh, and I just happen to love this computer so much that's sitting right next to me in this perfect box. Sponsored by ISIS. And by the <laughs> and by the way, it's like it has this amazing new processor in it or whatever. And I think audiences have gone to the point where you see much less of like sell out, sell out, sell out. And now it's like get the bag, get the bag, get the bag. Yeah, and I, yeah. I love it because it's like these creators are – they're producing this content and they're allowed to do this for a living because they're doing these ad deals. And what you see is a lot more, I think we've come a, a long way where you see a lot more support for ad deals. Now they're like, get the bad girl. And I'm just like, fuck yeah, let's that's, that's the mentality you should have. We shouldn't be putting a trashing creators just because they took a brand deal. And but, I love that. Go on. Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, like totally of what you say, I think you're right. Like, like audiences don't trash creators for doing sponsored stuff anymore. In fact, I think they're pretty, like you say, they're like, get the bag. We've got one channel, uh, Fresh, uh, who streams on Twitch. And his audience will literally be like, do an ad break. Do it. Like, show us an ad break right now. Like, we want to see one. And then it'll finish. And yeah. they'll be like, give us another one. Like, and then they'll like, <laughs> yeah. they're literally begging to see ads. Um, but, but I do think the one time you do see it backfire is is ironically now these days when people don't own the advertisement when they try and make it seem not sponsored even though it clearly is sponsored and i think you saw that in a big way with casey neistat and samsung i think that he was doing he was doing some big samsung sponsorships clearly some sponsored content and i i forget what the catalyst was for it but there was one video or one thing that happened i think he was maybe filming that advertisement for them and all of a sudden his whole audience was just like this is scummy you're not disclosing that it's sponsored you're trying to pretend that it's not and it's weird and then or, and then since then he'll literally like whenever he does a sponsored thing like giant flashing text on screen like this video is sponsored by samsung or if it's not he does the reverse he's like to absolutely clarify i have not been paid anything to do this you know like it's it's been yeah. it's super interesting how that's uh how that's changed but i feel like yeah ironically these days the only time where audiences don't like sponsors is when the uh the creator doesn't own the fact Audiences just don't want to feel misled, basically. I think that's what it comes down to. Audiences want to feel yeah. like everything's yeah. transparent. That's what they care about. Otherwise, get that bag. They're too smart. Audiences are way too smart these days. They don't want to feel like the wool's been trying to be pulled over their eyes. Yeah. Yeah, and if, and if you can, I think the best ad deals, and the best creators really find a way to like bring their audience in on the ad deal where they're like, listen, guys, they're sponsoring me. They're sponsoring this. They're about the content that I'm producing. And so suddenly your whole audience is behind this brand because they are sponsoring you. It's this weird thing where you get celebrated. The brand gets celebrated because you're sponsoring their favorite creator. And it's less 100%. about the product. And it's more like, listen, you're sponsoring my guy. And therefore, I'm on your team because of that. I think a thousand you see percent. that. You see it with SeatGeek. You see it with a lot, a couple other really good brands at Influencer, where people just use them. Like in the in the U.S., people use Cash App over Venmo because Cash App owns the influencer marketing scene, and Venmo, which is arguably had years and years and years ahead of them, just wasn't there. Wasn't yeah. an influencer. 
Absolutely. I, I think like a clear example, Elliot, is the campaign we did with a couple of our creators last year with KFC. And they were nervous. They were they were like, they hadn't done a huge amount of brand deals before. They were like, oh my gosh, we're going to say we're sponsored by a fast food brand. Like, are people going to hate us? And they they announced it. And the the comments were just flooded with like, that's so cool. Like, that's so cool that KFC is sponsoring you. Or that's cool yeah. that like KFC knows who you are. Like that they're, you know, that they're like in the gang. Like they understand us and therefore they want to be part of it. Like, I think, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. a brand that can let their guard down and become part of like, jump from, I mean, KFC is a, I don't know, one of the biggest brands in the world. And when they sponsor a creator, that's just a moment where it feels like, oh my God, this this guy I was early on is now having like a moment. We've arrived. Yeah. Yeah. And it's we. We've arrived. Yeah. 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 Okay, so we've we've butted you up. We've been telling you all the good things that you guys do over at SeatGeek and all the successes that you've had. But have you ever had any failures? Have you ever had any anything where you were where you were trying something new and you were super nervous about it or it didn't go to plan? You don't have to give us specifics, but okay, I'll give you one story that I almost went to the manager. I I wanted to go to the manager's house and knock on his door and fight him. That was how mad I was. So now okay. that I've teased it. So back in the early days, we were really hitting our stride on YouTube. And I got the wise idea that I was going to start sponsoring some musicians and rappers. And so I sponsored this big rapper. I, I DM'd his manager and said, hey, would you like courtside seats to the Warriors were in the finals. I don't remember which which game it was. Game, but anyway, it was like three or four years ago. Courtside seats. It'll be amazing. It'll be awesome. He hits up the unnamed rapper. The unnamed rapper said, yep, I'm down. I'm ready to do it. And I was like, all right, I just need an Instagram post. He's like, okay, cool. And I remember I, I, the whole company knew that this rapper was promoting SeatGeek. So it was on our Slack channel. Everyone's watching. Oh, it's called Game Four. They're all looking at this courtside seat, and I turn the game on, and the seat's empty. And I'm like, "All right, this isn't great." I can see it on camera, and then I'm, I'm texting the agent, and I'm like, "Where's so and so?" And he's like, "I don't know. He's flying back from the Caribbean on a private jet." But he said there'd be no issue, and I'm like, "Okay." First quarter passes. He's not there. Now I'm getting texts and slack from people at work we're like hey what's up it's, is, is it still happening and i'm like oh yeah yeah it's still happening mind you these seats are probably ten fifteen thousand dollars he walks in the third quarter sits on the seat and i'm like all right as long as i get my post i'm golden fine he does the post and he just completely ignores everything i had in the post and doesn't even tag seeky properly he spelled it S-E-A-T-G-E-A-K in his caption oh, no. to like 20 million followers. And I just remember just being so unbelievably mad that like everyone had kind of watched this pretty public failure. I had trusted this person I never should have trusted. And it was definitely one of those kind of like, maybe I got ahead of my skis. I trusted somebody I shouldn't trust. And I just remember being like, I just want to find this rapper. And of course, he'd probably look at me and be like, 
who the hell are you? Get away from me. But I just remember being so mad about um, about that. That was that's a that's a failure that really like sticks with you. But we have plenty of deals where we we work with the creator and it just they do everything we want to and it just it just doesn't work. And so doesn't get the traction. those are failures I can live. What doesn't get the traction that you're looking for? Yeah, but those are failures I can live with. But when someone like breaks my trust, because yeah. a lot yeah. of this industry is 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 trust like i don't with david or with other people things move fast and you have to have trust especially when you buy people tickets because i'm prepaying the creator right i'm paying you thousands of dollars in tickets before you've done anything for me even Mm -hmm. if i have a signed contract and so that's just you could theoretically take my tickets go to the event and never do a SeatGeek ad yeah and that's that puts me in a really bad spot. So I always have, anytime I go into those relationships since then, I really have to ask myself, do I trust this person's actually going to do what they say they're going to do? Not just Mm. did they sign a contract, but do I trust the scenario? Do I trust what's going on and feel comfortable moving forward? Almost like, do you trust they're going to, they're going to give it a good shot as well, that they're not just going to go through the motions that they're actually going to yeah. do a good job for you. I think that's something. Yeah. Especially, that's especially given worst. you guys work in that more casual way. Like there's a lot more implicit trust there. Like the reason most brands are like, no, 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 we're going to do four rounds of approvals and we're going to have these strict talking points is because they don't trust people. So yeah, for you guys yeah. to like go out there and actually do that. Yeah. It's, um, it would suck if that happened. I think that's something that um, I feel like I often explain to creators a lot of times, like they won't understand um, why like posting on a particular date might be important for the brand or why getting it up at a particular time might be important. And sometimes there's more flexibility, but I think sometimes creators don't always understand that, um, you know, it's not, it's not just about them, like someone's responsible for allocating that budget or someone's thinking about how it's going to coordinate with a game release or I don't know, an out of home ad or a TV ad or another event that the creator has nothing to do with, but there's someone or oftentimes many people at a company that are also working on the back end of that campaign that, um, you know, they're heavily invested in the outcome of it as well. Yeah. I mean, I remember the the big stressful moment from like you're 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 putting a lot of faith in people, and I think sometimes people always need to remember there's there's a human on the other end who had to sell someone else that this was a good idea. And we we did when we did Casey and David um, to Mayweather McGregor in Vegas. David called me and said, "Hey, I want to go to Mayweather McGregor," and I went eight seats within the first 15 rows of this event and so you're talking tens of thousands of dollars that's like it's an incredible amount of tickets and i need a private jet and so that was like the ultimate like david don't screw me here because like we are talking about a lot of money that we are laying we are putting down to do a casey video a david video and the rest of the vlog squad but i'm i'm prepaying this so i need to trust that yeah. you're going to do it exactly how I say you're going to do it. And they, and David notes the funny part was we, David didn't understand the time zones changed. So they called me and the fight was starting in 15 minutes and they were like 30 minutes away because they, they were in the wrong times. They, they thought they didn't realize what time zone they were in. 
So I remember I was on vacation calling like car services in Pennsylvania to try to get them from whatever, whatever club they were at to the fight. And then I was calling the people who I had the tickets for to meet them at the gate so they could deliver the tickets to Casey and David as they were running in so they wouldn't miss this fight. And so that was like always, that was a very nerve wracking moment. Wait, Fire so off. are you, are you managing those details? Like the private jet and the cars and stuff? Like you're not, you're not just allocating the budget and then a manager or someone's organizing so, that? Yes and no. So the problem you're is- like, that was is, the last time. <laughs> no, I always find myself here for better or worse. So with David and Casey, they were in a situation where they wanted to go to the event. I want to, so I won't do, I won't deal with private jets. I don't, that's not my world. So I will allocate money for the private jets. I will handle tickets, but I won't deal with that. Now, that said, somehow I always find myself in a situation where I'm, a creator is texting me and there's some sort of time dependency, like this event is going to happen. And so I'm the one who, Maybe I'm a micromanager, who knows? But I just always find myself texting with the creator and managing it myself, whether it's the posts or the Instagram stories or whatever's going on, because at a certain point, the game of telephone isn't moving fast enough for whatever scenario we've somehow found yourself in. Because basically David gives you like five hours to pull together this crazy deal that should take weeks, if not a month of planning and so in order to get it done, there's so much time dependencies. You end up just texting with them directly to manage the yeah. whole process. Yeah, 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 100%. Um, okay, well, I feel like we're getting to the end. But a last question for me would be um, best and worst parts about working with creators. Um, I mean, I think the best part just being able to work with people who are so, one, I think it's incredible. I'm very jealous, not jealous, maybe is the right word. I'm very impressed by creators like ability to put themselves out there. I think everyone has this naive idea that being a YouTuber, being a content creator is easy and it's not full of all this pressure. And as someone who's, and you guys, you all would know better than me, but it's, it's incredibly pressure filled. It's inc there's so much passion to do it right. You have to be so passionate about your craft and to be able to work with these people who are, take David, you're, you're creating a TV show for 10 to 15 million people mm -hmm. by yourself. You're filming it, you're acting in it, you're producing it, you're editing it, and you're distributing it all yourself. And you get to, and I get to work with those kind of people, the people who are really moving where culture is going. That's, Awesome. The worst part is you work with these incredibly passionate people who you have to deal with their crazy lives if you want to do it to the degree SeatGeek does it. So that means a bit more stress. Yeah. If David calls you at 4 a.m., you're getting up and answering the call at 4 a.m. If somebody needs something from me or anybody on my team, for better or worse, my expectation is you're going to respond to them and get back to them as fast as possible. I came from a talent management background, and that was always how we dealt with athletes. And if an athlete wants something, you kind of drop everything and make it happen. And so that's how yeah. I 
my mentality for better or worse is that. So that can lead to some stressful situations where you're dealing with things that could go wrong and creators and egos and just, but that's why it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Elliot, do you have a last question? No, that was actually the one that I was going to end on as well. <laughs> but no, thank you. That was so interesting. What, yeah. What's the, uh, what's the best, the worst thing about working with a, a brand deal or the, the best thing? Honestly, I think it's pretty much what we chatted about. Like the worst is when you end up with a brand like that one I described that was like, just we need to hit these talking points that made no sense yeah. in English. Like there's, there's times where they'll ask you to hit talking points like, uh, it sounds a bit disingenuous. But I think for me, like in like on the tech side, when people ask you to talk about stuff that you don't know what it means and you know that your audience doesn't know what it means and you're just like, why even say this? I may as well just speak to them in like Icelandic because no one's going to understand what we're talking about. Um, right. I think they're, they're the frustrating ones. I think it's those moments where you're sometimes you'll talk to a brand and the brand's like oh he's he's trying to be lazy he's trying to like get away with with doing less he's like no i'm trying to save you from yourself like i know what's gonna work <laughs> for my audience i want this to be good i want my audience to like it so that they like me and they like your brand and i, I think a lot of the time brands will see uh working on content collaborations as like a us versus them kind of thing you know like it almost like a, mm. you know, it, it's almost like they, they deal with the content integration side the same way that they deal with the negotiating over budget side. They'll be like, we're here, they're here. And like, you know, we need to like, you know, go as hard as we can for this. And it, and I think that's wrong. I think that brands should a lot more, obviously like there are things that need to get done and you can't just be like, Hey creator, here's a hundred thousand dollars. Just go have some fun and we'll trust you. You know, like there has to be back and forth right. there. But I think too often brands will try and leverage what they know from working in TV and, you know, traditional advertising. And they'll and they'll just really go hardline on that in the creator space. And I just think that it, it's so frustrating for me when I'm like, I, I know how I could do this so well and result in way better outcome for your brand. Please let me do it. And they're just like, no, talking points. And you're like, okay, well, whatever. Yeah, I think it's... um. I think creators just also, I mean, it sort of weaves in with the points you were just mentioning about wanting to do stuff on their own terms, egos, that sort of thing. And I've had creators like film an integration and the company will be so difficult about wanting revisions and added talking points and all this sort of thing. Like the creator will pull out of like a six figure brand deal after they've filmed it just because they're like, no, I hate this. Like I, I hate it. I'm not going to do it. And it's just like, yeah. gosh, what a wasted opportunity. Yeah, for everyone involved. Um, yeah. I mean, if, you, if, you, if, if you're giving revisions, it has to say, my goal is always to say, if you do this or you add this one thing, then we're good to go. It can't, you can't yeah. have, we have this things and then send me another round and these things. It has to be one comprehensive thing. If you're going to make any edits and then it has to end with, then we're good to go. Because otherwise- yeah people will revise things until they're blue in the face. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what triggers me. If they're like, oh, can we just make this change? And I'm like, okay, there you go. And they're like, oh, actually also this one. I've had a brand do that to me 
like over four revisions. They were like, asked to change. I made it, sent it back. They're like, oh, actually now also our senior manager wants this thing changed. I'm like, okay, there we go, done. Come back. They're like, oh, you know, the, the execs just come back saying he wanted this one other little talking point. And they're like, okay, there we go. And they're like, ah, oh, we just need one more. And then, then I think we're fine. And I'm just like, just, just yeah. what, what are you doing? Just I think that was years ago, but I think um, if any creators are listening and you don't have management, make sure in your contract you have limited amounts of revisions yeah. in there or that you have that they have to if you can only revise if you haven't met the brief or something yeah yeah i reckon i reckon your background in talent management would help you hugely in your ability to work with creators now though do you think yeah i mean i think i always go into the i always put myself in their shoes so whether whatever deal we're doing, whatever edits we're making, you really have to figure out how hard you're willing to push. What value are you really getting at a certain point? You have to make sure, do I really need this done? Is it worth pushing a creator to do a round of revisions when they're trying to get the video out the next day? Yeah. Or are we just, I always say like, are we just trying to get cute and like make this thing perfect that doesn't need to be perfect? And so I always, Having that talent background, I think, lets you know. I just have so much respect for the people who do it that I just don't, I never feel, I'm, I'm in a bad way explaining this, but I just, I just never feel, I always am trying to cater to them, but not, like, what are the two things we actually need done and what do we not care about? And I think that's, mm -hmm. usually when you're a manager, you say, and you get, let's say you got like 15 revisions, you say, okay, what are the two you actually care about? Because we're yeah. not doing 15. Yeah, and so 100%. I try to jump that question and say, all right, what are the two changes we actually need? Let's not send 15 over because then the creator is just going to throw up his hands and say, I'm not doing all this shit. I don't want to do this deal. You know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, I, w I hope that more people take after your approach soon because I, um, I think you've got a great way of doing it and it's definitely a few years ahead of perhaps where a lot of the industry is at. So... Um, thank you so much for coming on watch time Ian. um, we really appreciate it. And I think your insight was amazing and, and the audience will love it. So, um, to all of you at home, thank you so much for watching this week's episode of watch time. We will see you next week. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.